I saying that the largest fish will win this? No. What I am saying is that the people who put the most consistent amount of fish in the boat, who work the hardest, who have what they think are true values, those are the people who will win. <laughs> Number 13, welcome back, Tricky Soul Tepper. Oh, I know. Is this season two, or was that just sort of like <laughs> the, the mid-season break? I, that think was, I think it was mid-season break. A season in podcasting is, to me, is like a whole year. It's, I feel like it should be. On the other hand, some people are like, you know, 10 episode seasons, and they call it good. I think that they probably negotiate that with their... their, with their uh... What was a season for The Sopranos? That's a good question. I, I'm, I'm 13? Probably 13. Okay, so this is the end of our season. <laughs> it's a season-ending special. Or maybe this is the playoffs. Oh, The podcast playoffs. We should do a podcast playoffs with somebody. See if they'll go head-to-head with us. We should have some sort of live event for the <laughs> podcast. Yeah, we could do that. Just have a party and like bring my iMac. <laughs> yeah, set it up in there. Yeah, a high exactly. tech recording just, just setup. Something, yeah, something yeah. to mark the occasion. But I guess this is the end of our season. Although I think we'll be back next week with the new season. Yeah, exactly. It's not really that complicated. <laughs> okay. we, can, we, can, <laughs> we can do whatever we want since we're in charge. Right, and it was it, maybe it felt like the end of the season because we did not pod last week. It did. It was weird. I felt felt simultaneously naked and totally invigorated. <laughs> That's a weird image, I suppose. But uh, uh, that's definitely a weird image, <laughs> um, and I'm working hard on getting it out of there. There you go. That's yeah. good. So how are you though? You've been busy. Yeah, man. Yeah. Right. It's, it's okay. been very worky. Yeah. Still all about the youth sports. Yeah. Now we're throwing some gigs in there too. Yeah. Um, it's it, getting going. It's getting going. I will tell you. I'm excited to tell you that uh, I will not be playing in the golf league on Wednesday nights. Oh, and one of the one of the reasons was that I wanted to be able to go to the roundup more yes. often because that's such an awesome thing in the valley and uh, yeah, that's coming up. So yeah, and in case people don't know, uh, right down week. here next to the uh, the Bridge Street uh, Podcast Studios, yes, I'll right outside that. our windows yeah. in the dirt lot. I mean, maybe we should do yeah, we should do an official uh, roundup episode. That would be fun. I think we should do. Roundup episode all summer long. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, they bring food yeah. trucks down. There's live music. I'm going to yeah. be playing one of them with with the boys, and and there's beer, and it's just a lovely scene. I don't think that there's any other scene in the Madera Valley that is such an unexpected. Oh wow, this is awesome to visitors to the valley than that. And I've I've seen it. I've watched people walk in. Yeah. You know, with white white license plates, and they get out of their car and they kind of lean around the corner and they see the food trucks and the band and people jumping off the bridge. And, yeah. And they and they 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 realize that it's a pretty epic scene. It's pretty idyllic. Yeah. It's great. Bucolic. Bucolic. Would that word make sense to describe that? I mean, if you knew what it meant, I suppose. I don't. (laughs) (laughs) That's on the list of words that we use, but we don't really... I think you pronounced it right, though. Bucolic. Yeah, it's lovely. What does it mean? Is it like agrarian, something like that? I'm going to say bucolic. Hold on, what's our email address? But Somebody can write it down. (laughs) You You can... Find us on Twitter. No, actually, you can't find us on Twitter. And you <laughs> can't call us. That. You can't call us either. But we do have a, I think it's superlocalvt at gmail.com. Correct. Or is it superlocalpod? 
No, superlocalvt, superlocalvt at gmail.com. Yeah. An email address I have not checked in about three weeks. So actually, I should probably check that. Okay. We'll <laughs> check the email. You tell yeah. us what bucolic means. Yeah. And we'll see you at the Roundup every Wednesday. Every Wednesday. Because what my, my theory was, and I think I proposed this to you, instead of like our Thursday night, Friday night pod, we would do a Wednesday afternoon pod and then just jump and right into the Roundup. That sounds... <laughs> exactly. Like, and we, we don't even it need to line up guests because they're all right down there. Well, that's... Yeah. We'll just pull people in. Yeah, especially after a couple... Sip of sunshines and, and chatting down by the river. They'll be all over it, it would be no different than what and we've be, been doing all winter. It'll be great. There'll be a little crowd noise, ambient crowd noise in the back, and um, yeah, and we'll be all set. Well, that's awesome. Well, and so in a couple minutes, we're going to bring on uh, Matt Crawford as, yeah. our, as our guest of the day. And Matt is a, you know, he's not a man about town. He's a man about Vermont. And, um, you know, he's a Vermont native, a former uh, outdoor writer for the Burlington Free Press, uh, current uh, account director for pale morning media and yep. um really a pretty pretty interesting guy he's also been writing quarterly for vermont life for god for several years and actually he, he writes he wrote um a number of great pieces in there he wrote a piece about uh 14 star the the brewers he also wrote the, an article we've mentioned 14 star numerous times maybe everybody <laughs> Uh, he and also, now we're big fans of their. He also their wrote an article brewers. about the future of hunting in Vermont, which was a really interesting thing. He's written about. Um, uh, there's an article actually on professional professional bass fishing tournaments on Lake Champlain in the current and swan song issue of Vermont Life because it is going away sadly. All right. Um, and he's you know he's an active, uh, uh, sporty kind of guy with a with a great sense of humor and. Uh, It'll be great. I'm excited to, to get you guys chatting. Do you think that Vermont life, that may be in part of the reason why it may be going under, is because of the sudden interest in Vermont-based podcasting? <laughs> that's possible. <laughs> I suppose that's possible. I mean, if you look at the list of things, it's on that list. Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, I, I, there may be a couple other things. That Printing we're... costs... Well, there's we'll, we'll, we'll dig lack in of with readers. Matt. Matt and I have talked about it uh, quite a bit. All right, so it, it's uh, it, it's going to be great. Now, hold on, um, yeah. briefly. Yes, um, you have a big graduation coming up. I do. My daughter is graduating this weekend from from Harvard Union High School, and uh, it's kind of mind blowing <laughs> to kind of wrap my head around the whole thing. Yeah, um, really big, but it's awesome, and it's um, I. I couldn't be more excited for her yep. and for all of her classmates. You know, it's really interesting, you know, a year ago, even a couple of years ago, you would kind of wonder like, oh my God, what are these like infants going to do when they get out in the world? Right. But at this point, I mean, they are so ready and ready to embrace everything that the world has to throw at them. And um, it's, it's an amazing thing to see these, these kids. They're, they're kids who are just turning into adults, like literally in front of you and it's a it's a mind-boggling kind of event now everybody always says when you have kids you know enjoy it while it lasts yeah because it goes by quick that is true now i'm in the middle of it and i felt and you feel like it's going really slow <laughs> <laughs> well partly um up until like age eight nine yeah i thought that went really slow yeah and then now I think it's going fast. Well, I think What's your official take as somebody who's, who's on the back end of this? And it's funny. Um, I totally agree because it starts going fast when you start realizing that your time with them is about to go away. 
And I think yeah. it's, it's in that early teenage years and you're like, oh, oh, <laughs> these guys are one foot out the door on me right now. And they're, you know, because up till 10, they look, you're, you're God to them. And then right. like after like age 13, you're essentially a walking ATM, you know, yes. and, and I mean, not essentially, I mean, that's a joke, but at the same point, um, there's, there's, there's a, there's a change there that happens. And, you know, I, I also heard that like, you know, really any parenting you're doing has to be done before the age of 10. Cause after that, they're, they're kind of pretty formed and now it's just, they're waiting for the rest of them to, to catch up. So it's a 10 year, just kind of cash grab with no, <laughs> yeah. no real yeah. direction and no real steerage that you have over the situation. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. That's good to know. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, let, let's take a quick break, and we'll get um, young Matt Crawford on the phone. Great. All right, and we're back, and uh, Matt Crawford is joining us. Matt, are you there? I am here. How are you guys doing? We're, we're doing pretty good. Thanks for joining us. Matt, how does it feel? Uh, I guess you just we were just talking about graduation. You just graduated another one from, from the collegiate ranks, didn't you? Uh, I I graduated one from law school. Oh, whoa. Uh, so I've got two two through the collegiate ranks and one now through law school. Um, that was the easiest one because I didn't have to do a damn thing. You just did it all. <laughs> yeah, that, that sounds, sounds cool. That sounds so nice. <laughs> Having somebody somebody just run that whole show. Um, and I, I I just showed up at graduation with a um, the bottle of Pappy ten year old that I have and we each had a, a little snifter full of Pappy. So that was good. Well, let's talk about that Pappy. Actually, that's kind of an interesting thing. I don't even know if Chicky's like down with this whole program. So mm. Matt, tell, tell Chicky where you got that Pappy. So the Vermont department of liquor control, the last two years gets this release of Pappy Van Winkle um, and the four different ages or five different ages that they have. And they have different ways where you can win it the year that I won it. You entered a lottery and you had the right to buy that Pappy at the retail price. So I, my name was picked. I had the right to buy a bottle of Pappy from Department of Liquor Control for like 60 bucks, um, which is the retail price for the 10-year-old Pappy. Now, you can go to Saratoga right now. There's a, there's a spirit store in Saratoga that sells that 10-year-old bottle for about 650 700 bucks. <laughs> so I got it maybe like – so the retail price – and the street price are maybe 10 times difference. Maybe street price is 10 times higher than the retail price. So I had this bottle of Pappy 10 that I got two years ago, and it's been in my gun safe awaiting special occasions. And obviously having your oldest graduate from law school is a special occasion. Uh, it's Pappy worthy. It's Pappy worthy. And what was it? Was the Pappy worthy? How was it? There's not enough O's in smooth. I mean, there's a reason it's so hard to get because... It's like 107 proof, um, and it's there's a reason that's so hard to get because if it was easy to get, I don't think I'd do anything but drink Pappy every night. Really, I got I got two questions, man. Um, one is it is it kind of awesome and and dangerous feeling to have liquor in the gun safe? And two, what tell us what Pappy is? <laughs> uh, yeah, well, one, there are other things in that gun safe. That's <laughs> disgusting. Uh, and two, Pappy is so Pappy Van Winkle is uh, a bourbon brewed and uh, distilled in Kentucky. Yeah, uh, it comes out of the same distillery that makes Buffalo Trace. And actually, Pappy Van Winkle, the uh, Van Winkle is the 
family name. So Julian Van Winkle, who's a member of the Buffalo Trace, I don't know if he's the CEO or whatever he is there, but he's taken this family recipe for bourbon. And they've done a, it's really a great marketing story. It's very good bourbon. It's aged in different batches, 23, uh, 12, 15, and a 10, I think. I may not have that correct, but um, I've had the 10 and the 12. So it's released every fall in very, very small numbers. And it's super good bourbon. I sort People of thought, scramble for it. So Matt came in and, you know, he, he basically like told us all, Hey, you guys, you got to enter this Vermont liquor controlled, you know, lottery, yeah. um, which, which I recall there were actually quite a bunch of different things on there. And I, I, I think some of them were like confiscated boozes or I don't know how they get them all. Right. But at the same point, you know, he got us all to join and then he won. So I'm not exactly sure <laughs> how that went down. But I feel like, Matt, have you only won it once? I feel like you won it twice. Is that not true? Yeah, no, I've, I've only won it once. Last year, you had to pay, it was $10 an entry, and the proceeds went to, I can't remember what it was for. It went for some a nonprofit here in Vermont. But then you had the right out of buying those tickets to buy the bottles. So I've only won it once. Yeah, it was got you know, and, and someday when marijuana is legal in Vermont, they'll do the same thing. You know, you're going to be able to buy, you know, some, yeah. some you know, some Vermont reggae band blend of, of, of cannabis yeah. through the Vermont. 90, 98% THC, right? Like, yeah, it'll happen someday. Well, cool. That's awesome. Well, you know, uh, anyway, so you, 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 you fetted the graduation with the Pappy and, of course, the uh, your your youthful son appreciated that, right? I think he did. Yeah, I did. I also had um, three or four of his buddies do it as well, and I toasted them and gave a little speech to them. Uh, we went to my car to do it, not up at the, not up at the general, you know, public lot. We weren't there with a with a holy poly. We were there with our own folk. <laughs> Wait, so you were, uh, you, were I mean, you were tossy, you, you know, you just don't break the pappy at any old time. Yeah, it has to be a parking lot. <laughs> well, it has to be. It has to be in a very special, concealed place, like general masses. The unwashed oh. masses should not be. Yeah, partaking. yeah. I got yeah. you. You don't want to yeah. like unveil the pappy yeah. in a crowded room because it'll be gone. Yeah, it's not like you're going to shotgun it, you know. <laughs> exactly, boilermaker. Although, if you're twenty something, you might be tempted to. Um, so Matt, so let's jump. So a little bit of Matt's bio. I mean, we talked a, a little bit about it uh, earlier in the intro. But one thing I didn't mention to Chicky is that Matt used to uh, used to be a DJ uh, for Friday Afternoon Club at the Hilton Harvest House in Boulder, right, Matt? Yeah, just down from Folsom Stadium, right on Boulder Creek. Yeah. And, wow. And that, and so, <laughs> first of all. Did you apply for that job or were you working there already and then they created that, you know, and, and, and how did, you know, what were your qualifications that sort of landed you that, that primo gig? Well, I had DJed at the radio station. Remember, this was back in the days of when vinyl was all we had. Yeah. And, and I also, so I applied at the, at the Clarion at the hotel as a bartender and Friday afternoon clubs, the bartenders were great. You would just pour beer off taps and make it like a dollar tip. Yeah. Um, and they had a DJ, Tom Niebuhr was his name. He was a big, uh, Cincinnati, Cincinnati guy. He loved everything Cincinnati, whether it was the Bengals or the Reds. And he was that's, a DJ. That's tough and like many, 
many DJs, a full-time DJ, like many DJs in the 80s in Colorado, he had, uh, let's say, other hobbies. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. So, so Tom needed some, somebody to fill in, fill in for him some nights or, you know, <laughs> when morning bled into night and night bled into morning. So uh, he tutored me with, matching up beats and uh, using the two turntables and that kind of stuff. And so I just sort of moved into that position um, under Tom's tutelage. And, and uh, that's how I sort of became a dance club DJ. And I could match beats, you know, I would always drop things into like Miami Sound Machine or the Jets or uh, or not, not Crush on You. Remember that song? Yeah, so, I remember that song. There's always these songs that... It, the records were lined up by beat, right? So it'd be like 120 beats to 125 beats and you could speed up and speed down on turntables. So you could, you could blend 125 beat song into 130 beat by just sort of adjusting up and down. Right. That's super inside baseball. So did you work other venues other than the harvest house? Did you work pogos or like chilagis or anything like that? Not in Boulder, no. But when I came back to Vermont after school, I uh, I DJed for uh, another DJ named Bill who had other persuasions that he wanted to chase and did some weddings and uh, um, events and that kind of thing. What was the big go-to record, like the one that would not fail? Well, Miami Sound Machine was a good one, but this was the, this was the era of... Is rhythm is going to uh, Tone Loke. Like anytime Whoa. you roll Tone Loke, the house. Yeah, Wild the thing? House down. Funky Cole Medina. Yeah. Funky Cole Medina. Funky yeah. Cole Medina. Yeah. Yeah. You can't go wrong and, with Funky Cole <laughs> And I was able to also, because that, to riff off some Van Halen stuff, uh, I was also be able to drop the Van Halen into the Funky Cole Medina, into the Wild, you know? Yeah. Uh, wild thing, actually. And it's funny. <laughs> I think Van Halen actually played Folsom Field not long before that too. So there was definitely a lot of Van Halen uh, mojo kicking around that town for a long time. Uh, anyway, so then uh, and you rolled back to Vermont and, and started your journalism career or did you take a couple of years off before you jumped into that? Yeah, you know how it is, Drew. I had no discernible <laughs> skills, so I went into journalism. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, you know, um, it, it works. <laughs> yeah, so I went, into, I went into journalism at the small paper up here in St. Albans and then eventually ended up at the free press. Yeah, that's great. And and did you start as a, at St. Albans, did you start as a general interest reporter? No, I started in sports, uh, high school sports. So I would go to six or seven high school sporting events in a week. Yeah. That's a tough gig, man. <laughs> that's gotta be a tough gig. It's it's hard, especially it's hard. some of the some of the sports that you know nothing about. I mean, luckily, I think there are more sports now that I know nothing about. But back then, it was basically field hockey yeah. that I knew nothing about. Yeah. Now, like now, like uh, lacrosse, I don't really know. And yeah, and it's know. hard too. I think uh, you know having having seen how it works, like covering high school sports, college sports, pro sports. Like the pro sport journalists are so spoon fed every statistic and quote that you'd ever want. And then you sort of dial it back down to this high school level and you're attending, you know, a high school wrestling meet or a high school field hockey event. And there's no stats. You're not even sure what the stats are that you're supposed to be recording. 
nobody's handing you a canned quote and you've got to come up with 600 words about it. Right, and most of that stuff is just like you're calling the game but doing it longhand. Well, pretty much, but but if you don't know the vocabulary of the game, I mean, I I will say, you know, so Matt and I shared that sort of, uh, you know, I started out as a a sports writer as well and, you know, one of the things that, you know, one of the sports that I that I had that I had no experience with for a long time was wrestling, right. Um, right? But I ended up really enjoying covering that sport. It was a fascinating thing, and the the points and you know for the you know for the escape and for the yeah. reverse and like all that stuff. It was a really really fun to write about, and uh, you know, and I, you probably found that too, Matt. Right? Like, there's certain sports. Maybe it's because you understand them better, but they're just more fun to write about. Yeah, I think soccer is fun to write about. I think the hardest thing to write about is high school football. So I actually, when I was at CU, my internship was in the um, AD with a uh, SID office, Dave, Dave and my Plotty, right? job on game, my job on game day, when Colorado played at home, was to go to the opposing team's locker room and get five quotes, <laughs> five different quotes. on anything. Right. Yeah, and then I'd run back up to the press box and type those up. And then hand those five quotes out to all the media that were were there. That's all I did on game. Well, no, that's not true. Also, I was on the opposing sideline, and I would call injuries back up to the press box. Right. So, and this is when Colorado was really good. Yeah, that, so, that's right. You know, and, Sal and Essay and McCartney and all those guys. Um, and and I so so. An opposing team's running back would go down and look like an ankle injury, and I'd sort of walk over to the trainer and be like, "Hey, what can I tell the box?" And you're like, "Get the hell out of here!" <laughs> so I call back up to the box and they're like, uh, "Yeah, so and so's right ankle's being looked at. His uh, his return is doubtful." <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. No, those are those were those are the days for sure. So, um, but anyway, so. You, so when you got hired by the free press, was that the outdoor gig right away? No, that was uh, on the, was sort of a hybrid position in sports, sort of sports copy desk and sports reporter. And then um, that morphed into the free press was back then the free press had, I want to say eight and a half, eight full timers and a half timer in sports. Oh my God. Maybe really? seven. Yeah. Yeah, those were the days. Um, you know, and those were the days. Like, a, I mean, so what year was that? Ninety two, ninety three. Ninety two, and was it? Who owned it then? Was it Gannett at that point? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. But they were still making <laughs> money on classified ads, right? And like, I mean, there was no Craigslist. There was no right, right. None of that stuff. Still old um, stuff, you know. Which is which is yeah, kind of interesting. They were, um, they're making they're making money hand over fist, and they uh, there's I think two people left at the Free Press that I s- still worked with, and I left there ten years ago. Right. But but it's but there right now there are two people in sports. It's kind of funny, Matt. You know, one of the, the one of the stats that always sticks with me about the newspaper days is that you know the paper I worked at, we used to run advertising to editorial content at about 60% advertising to 40% editorial. And, you know, if you think about that, I remember talking to a guy in TV about that percentage and like, you know, imagine if you were watching a television show, right. it was 60% ads, right? <laughs> you know, how, uh, how lucrative that would be, 
you know. Um, oh, an NFL game? And, and completely right, unwatchable. Right. Yeah. And completely unwatchable, yeah. yeah. An NFL game, exactly. Yeah. Um, but, I, but, you know, I, I think obviously a lot of things have changed. When, let me, here we go. Well, this would be a great segue into it. When did you first, uh, when did Vermont Life first come on your radar screen? I mean, you were at the Free Press, you started in sports, you know, moved into becoming an outdoor writer. Um, you know, was Vermont Life, a, what was it at that point in, for journalists in Vermont? Was it, was it kind of a, you know, not noticed or was it kind of the beacon on the hill that people really wanted to work for? Oh, I think it was the beacon on the hill. You know, it had been around for so long. And, and as much as it was for journalists, the beacon on the hill, it really was the holy grail for a Vermont photographer. Right. Like, when you get that classic, whether it's a foliage shot or horses drawing through the sugar woods or, you know, a skier, whatever made the cover of Vermont life for, for a photographer, that was like, you knew you arrived. Right. That's, that's exact. I mean, I, I can totally see that, you know, and, and did it, you know, back in the day, did it pay well? Or was I think it just it's always of, paid pretty well. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Tom Slayton had run Vermont life for years there and he's sort of still associated with it. Uh, he did a, a nice eulogy of Vermont life on, on DPR here a couple weeks ago. Yeah. But, no, um, but, it, but it attracted the best writers. Like, you know, I saw Chris Bajalian's byline was in there and people who, who moved through Vermont with connections to Vermont, uh, you know, a pretty strong writing core have, they've written for Vermont in the past, Vermont life in the past. So, yeah, I mean, it's a special place for writers and, and photographers, I think. You know, and it's interesting. I mean, I, for, for me, um, you know, when I first started dating my wife, my wife she wasn't, I, mean, I was dating her. She was my girlfriend. And then she became my wife. It always sounds weird yeah, to say I was no, dating my wife, right? Right. But yeah. it's kind of funny. Yeah. But, I, but as soon as I Court, was, as soon as there was like a courting whiff, your, courting, I think you were courting her. Courting my, yeah, exactly. And yeah. as soon as like there was a whiff that we might move back to Vermont someday, like the Vermont Life subscription from the in-laws started uh, showing up and had been, and, and I think we still get it, to be honest. I, well, not anymore. Um, but what's the history on it? How long had it been around? It's been around since the 40s. It was set up by the legislature as a marketing tool. Oh, okay. Uh, Post-World War II. Um and it had really been the place to celebrate that Vermont brand, you know, right. um, and had done so throughout the years. So and that's it, really what it was for. It was really seen. It really was envisioned as a marketing tool and later it became a discussion about economics. Right. Well, let's, let's, let's play that out a little bit. I mean, you and I've talked about this a bit, Matt and, and Chicky was, you know, he's kind of intrigued by the whole thing. I mean, for those who don't know, Vermont life is now officially dead, right? As of a month ago. Oh, the last issue just dropped two weeks ago. Yeah. Right. And, but prior to that, it was a really a kind of a heated conversation in the Vermont legislature, um, specifically about the profitability of the magazine. Um, and my understanding is that it, it's interesting, even though it was created as a marketing tool, the way the legislature set it up originally was as its own department of government, right? It was kind of like the Vermont life. They might not right. have even had a marketing department when they started it, right, Matt? I mean, that might be why. And, um, you know, anyway, 
fast forward, you know, through the era of Craigslist and declining readers for print magazines, right. and a lot of it came under a lot of heat for not being profitable uh, from you know budget hawks and people yeah, yeah. who are, who want to make money, um, and so they actually they actually put out a, a request for proposals an RFP to a bunch of potential buyers, which I, I think they received a number of bids. Um, yet they- yeah, I want to say seven or eight, and 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 you know Howie, who I know has been on this podcast before, yeah, Howie was one of them. Yeah, and but yet none of those were accepted, and they have decided to close the doors on it. Um, why were none of them accepted? Well, that's a great question. Yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, Matt, what is what's your understanding on that? Well, I, th- I think it was a the RFP was sort of this hybrid thing, like the state wanted to retain control of the brand. And they wanted to be able to still have their, you know, thumbs in the pie. But the people who were wanting to produce the magazine wanted to be able to have the whole brand themselves because that's really what it's worth. So it was this little bit of friction and Vermont was like, ah, we really can't make it work this way. And sort of right. pulled the plug early in the RFP process, really. I mean, they wanted... Or right after. Yeah, they wanted somebody to buy it, but they wanted to still control it. That, that would make sense, that that's somehow how, how it died there. Right. You know, that said, you know, um, every conversation that you have about marketing the state, oh, we should attract, you know, more youth or we should attract more outdoor people or we should attract more hunters. It's always it hinged with the, well, it'd be great if we had some sort of marketing tool where we could reach out to them. Right. You know, and... It's interesting. I, I've had a conversation with a number of people, and they're like, you know, print is dead, is what they always say to me. On the other hand, if you look around the country and see other examples of the best things that are happening in journalism right now are print magazines. You know, you have you know Adventure Journal and Gear Patrol and the Drake and you know thing. At least in our sort of outdoorsy world, um, where you know you get this great looking magazine that you know lives lives for a long time. Right. Um, and it's definitely, I mean, you know, I think Matt, our, my soapbox anyway, is that, you know, to, to say that it wasn't profitable and that's the reason that you're killing it is kind of a bummer because no marketing is profitable. It's a spend. Like you have, you have to spend some money to, to, to achieve those marketing goals and to kind of consider it, well, it should be a profitable entity. I, I think they could have potentially like tightened the belt up maybe on it. Um, but at the same point to like hold it under the same sort of lens of profitability was, I, I personally am, am, am disappointed. It's kind of a strange arc too, to like, you know, you have this, uh, longstanding brand, uh, in Vermont life and that's a marketing tool that you have and then you kill that and then you just start paying people $10,000 to move here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's a, that's a, yeah. It's kind of strange. Yeah, I'm, it is strange. On the other hand, I didn't know. So that's so you're talking about this initiative where, right. if you're willing to relocate to Vermont and work from home, they'll they'll pay you ten thousand dollars to offset uh, your moving costs. I guess um, I'm willing to move to Mexico for a year and come back for ten grand. Yes, right. Yeah, I'm just putting that out there. But yeah, <laughs> yes, exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, that's not a terrible idea. No, sounds great. Up, up to up to ten thousand. Up to ten. Yeah, it was. Up to ten thousand. Yeah. Oh, the fine print. Is there? Yeah, I'm. I didn't know. It's good that you mentioned that. Everybody's just thinking of it as a check. You know. Yeah. Right. And it's an interesting. You know, I, I think as a sort of PR move, it's awesome. It got 
a gazillion oh, yeah. Facebook shares. My mom mentioned it to me. Right. That was the first time I heard of it. I was, and I didn't even know what she was talking about. So it, you know, she lives in Tucson, Arizona, and it was somehow on her radar screen, um, which is kind of cool. Um, you know, that people are thinking, oh, that's a maybe, maybe that's something I should consider. Right. Um, on the other hand, isn't aren't moving expenses tax deductible anyway? <laughs> anyway, so it's just it's kind of I don't know, I'm not exactly sure. How that all plays out, know but uh, Matt, are you are you uh, hearing people talk about that at all up in in your neck of the woods? Uh, yeah, a little bit. I did hear you know people sort of in passing talk about it. Yeah, um, yeah. You, you mean, mainly wondering, you know, it'd be nice if all the folks living in Vermont got ten thousand dollars. That's what I hear. <laughs> yeah, I've yeah. heard a lot of that chatter as well. But, um, That's well, a good way. To, good way to start. Look, let's keep the people. Who, well, you know, go to circle this back to the law school graduate. He, he, maybe someday is coming back to Vermont. But right now, like he's got a fairly serious girlfriend who's a nurse or graduated from her, getting her BA in nursing uh-huh. after getting an undergrad something else, and he graduated from law school and he's got a job lined up in Albany. You know, and they they ain't coming back. You know. Well, you, you never know. Never say never. Uh, but at the same but, point, you know, a, their life is... But a, lot of, is, is a lot of young Vermonters don't want to. Yeah. Is it because of, like, the expense? Or is it because of the lack of things to do? What's what's in it for him to, to, to you know, to want to leave so bad? Uh, I think I think there's there's more opportunities professionally elsewhere. Yeah, That's yeah. for him. That's yeah. what it means. Right. Yeah. And it's and you got to put yourself sort of in the lens of uh, you know a young twenty something, you know the 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 fear of missing out, the FOMO, feeding social media, like the entire world is is on on their phone, you know, telling them all the opportunities that they're missing. Right. And it seems like being in a metropolis is is required to take advantage of those opportunities. And you know it's it's uh you know it's. I don't know. I, I'm, I'm, I, I think people need to go and explore the world. I mean, it's a big world for sure. sure. I think the idea that we're going to like keep Vermonters here from cradle to grave is a flawed premise at best. Um, you know, and, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, you know, on gorgeous days in Vermont, I wonder why there aren't 7 billion people here, you know? Um, and then, and then other times, you know, yeah, I get it. <laughs> you know? and, uh, but what about to talk to I mean, so St. Albans is really sort of your nearest metropolis, right? Yeah, St. Albans is my nearest metropolis, and that's uh, in the last final here issue of Vermont Life. I've got a feature about the resurgence that's taken place in St. Albans that's been four decades in the coming in the making. It's pretty impressive, you know. I was up there. Shoot, last fall, I guess. Um, and honestly, you know, the only times I'd ever been up there before was to, pl- you know, go to a youth sports event at one of their fields. And honestly, it was like, pull in, go to the fields. And then as soon as it's over, I'm in the car and headed home. And this was the first time I went down to the main street. And um, holy shit, it was it was pretty, pretty great. You know, there were there was a, you know, there was a theater and a great bakery and a 14 star brewery and. Um, and I don't know if you were telling me or somebody was telling me that the, did they do like a TIF district or something that had some, whatever they did, however they financed it, it was specifically set up to make sure that local, a lot was going to go into local businesses and whatever they did, I thought it really worked pretty well. 
Yeah. And, and, you know, the catalyst, there were some people, some forward thinking people who obviously took the reins, but the catalyst really was almost 30 years ago. Now Walmart decided they were going to build on the North end of town outside of downtown. And there were some folks who, who very smartly said, Hey, look, Walmart's going to come no matter what we do, right? With all the fight Walmart bumper stickers and the preserve our downtowns and all that shit. Yeah, we can do that, but Walmart's still going to end up building. So what they decided to do was take the inevitable um, outcome that Walmart's coming, but how do we get that to work for us? How do we, how do we say, okay, something change is coming, but let's not just fight change. Let's be part of that change. Right. And so, and so like the, yeah. that wall, so they, they took some of that Walmart cash to buy into the outside of town and reinvested that in the downtown. Right. <laughs> yeah. There was a lawsuit against Jeff Davis, you know, a bunch of lawsuits against Jeff Davis, the developer of Walmart. And they're like the, the two, two town, two city officials, like we'll drop this thing. If you buy two buildings downtown for 4 million bucks. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. Hey, I like that. Just call it like Jeff it is. Davis. Jeff Davis said, sure. And so as they were doing that, they said, now, okay, we'll set up a TIF district. So we've got, which is this really wonky way of doing things. But basically it allows a municipality to take money in a very specified part of town and put it back into development and back into um, growth. And so they made Davis buy those buildings in the TIF district. Right. <laughs> and then... And then had him, you know, and got him invested in downtown and that got him to sort of, he's a very powerful guy and people like um, Pat Lee, he helped move the immigration and naturalization folks into downtown St. Albans oh, yeah. and, and then the state got on board. And I, I think I don't have the, my story in front of me, but I think there's been something like $25 million worth of infrastructure and, and um, development in downtown St. Albans in the last 12, 15 years. That's incredible. And real estate is moving pretty well up there, right? I have a friend who's a real estate, who's a mortgage broker, and he's slow right now. Not slow because there's nobody buying houses, slow because the inventory up here is so low. Right. I mean, for a while, what I, what I was hearing was like, everything that's sort of starter young out of college, you know, the $200,000 ish kind of places were just like, they couldn't build them fast enough. And, you know, and basically it's becoming kind of a Burlington suburb, right? I mean, for, for, for younger folks. Yeah. So, uh, at the course of this story, I found out a couple of interesting facts. Um, there's about 10,000 people, there's 30,000, 38,000, maybe 40,000 people almost live in Franklin County. There are 10,000 people who out-migrate from Franklin County every day to work. Wow. Um, uh, Fairfax, which is the next town over where I am, it's just south of St. Albans. 90% of the people in Fairfax migrate out of Fairfax every day to work. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I live in Georgia, which is between St. Albans and Burlington, and, and I'm on the select boards. So I have a little bit of insight. Our grand list is just exploding. We cannot build $350,000 houses fast enough. And the reason for that is if you are a, if you're working at UVM or Fletcher Allen or any of the big places down in Burlington, and you make decent coin, you're like, oh, I'd like to buy a $300,000, $400,000 house. You can't find it in Burlington. And what you can find is, you know, cramped and tiny and maybe in disrepair. 
but for 350 in Georgia, you get a place to put your horses and your kids to have high school choice. And, mm-hmm. you know, you've got 3000 square feet and four bedrooms. And you got lake access and, you know, you, you, but you have to, like, if you buy a place in St. Albans, do you have to pledge allegiance to the Montreal Canadiens? <laughs> no, there's enough of those damn Bruin fans up Please here, too. <laughs> yeah, Matt's a bit of a Habs guy, for sure. Um, and so how, let's, start, let's like sort of transition. What is the lake access like up there for you? I mean, how, how close are you to the water? Uh I live inland in Georgia, but I'm four miles and we have a town beach that's open and free with a town boat launch and anybody can use it. So I'm four miles from the lake as the crow flies. And it's fun. St. Albans, the city of St. Albans is off the water. The town of St. Albans is in St. Albans Bay. Right. I mean, Lake Champlain, it's really interesting here over here in the, you know, in the cradled in the, the, in the green mountain range, you know, we don't, we don't think as much about Lake Champlain, but that is, that is the jewel of the state, really. I mean, that, I mean, we have the mountains, which are great, but I mean, Lake Champlain is, I mean, it's not just a great economic driver. It's a spectacular recreational resource, transportation. I mean, right. it's awesome. I mean, how, I mean, for people up there, I mean, how many people have, bo- have a boat or access to a boat? Mm, I mean, everybody, every, yeah. every second house, every third house. I mean, yeah. it's not a... You know, whether it's a canoe or a kayak or a sup or a bass boat or you're mooring your $650,000 cruiser somewhere, right. I mean, everybody's got something. Yeah, that's awesome. And, and have, you know, not to not to ask you how many times you've been fishing, but, you know, how, or how much you get out there and going fishing. Well, Drew, I have a job that makes me work really hard. <laughs> but you're out there a fair amount, right? I mean, every morning? I am, yeah. No, not every morning. I was on a lake on Sunday. Yeah, uh, we went salmon fishing down uh, by Charlotte, which is another spectacular area. But yeah, no, I would say a couple of times a week. You know, either Champlain or its immediate tributaries. Yeah, and how and how is it fishing? I'm surprised how low the water is right now for this time of year. It's but it's, um, wasn't it? I mean, it's, I mean, what's funny you say that the last time I was up there, which I think was last spring, the whole thing was low. I mean, it's crazy. Um, and so it's still, are you saying it's lower than it was or is it just sort of remaining low? Just remaining low. You know, it's just, we're not having huge water flows, which is okay. Yeah. Um, I'm getting I'm getting ready for the Ditch Pickle Classic, which is a fly fishing only bass tournament held on Champlain here in about three weeks. That's that sounds great. I feel like you did that before, didn't you? Or I feel like we've talked. Yeah, about I've done that. it a few times. I've done it a few times. The, yeah. the Ditch Pickle Classic. Yeah. Ditch Pickle Classic. Yeah. Is the Ditch Pickle a fly? Should be. No, it's a it's a. It's a colloquial term for a largemouth bass. A ditch pickle? But you have to say <laughs> that. Because they're. You have to say that with a Vermont accent. I don't even know if you can do that. Ditch pickle. <laughs> well done. Yeah. There's that freaking ditch pickle up in there. <laughs> oh my God. That's hysterical. And so, uh, what are your expectations for the ditch pickle classic? Uh, well, I'm fishing with my son. So my normal fishing partner, his daughter's graduating from high school. So I'm fishing with my son, Eli. We are the big Lebaskis. Oh, nice. Um, 
That's our team. Great. You guys have t-shirts? No, not not yet. Man. You should both wear you should both wear bathrobes. <laughs> but I did well. We did well last year. We were like top ten last year. We found some largemouth bass on on topwaters on poppers, which was awesome. That's the problem was we just couldn't. We, I mean, we caught a lot of like fourteen or fifteen inch bass, but the winners are always catching you know eighteen, nineteen inch bass, and it's based on the length of the fish. So, got it. Got what? It. How does how do those things work? You, you go out for the day, and, and at some point you have to bring back what you got, and hopefully that's bigger than everybody else's. Is that how it works? Well, the, the, the classic goes like this. So when you register, they give you a measuring board with your team number on it. All right. And you have to take, you have to take a picture of every bass against that measuring board on your phone, mm-hmm. and then you record it. You record it on a sheet. So, you know, it would be – there might be a sheet for Chicky and a, sh- a sheet for Drew. So it'd be Chicky fish number one was 15 inches. You take a picture, sh- yep. and throw it back. Okay. And then you then you submit that online at the end of the first day. And yeah. you bring it in person at the end of the second day. Yeah. And they sort of tally it up that way. I mean, could you cheat? Sure. But what kind of asshole would cheat in a fly fishing only bass tournament? I mean, a special kind. But, and can uh, you see can you special. see the results coming in live? Like, oh my god, this guy just caught this monster over in Virgins or whatever. No, they they do have a website that updates. So the the way the Ditch Pickle Classic works is that it runs from like noon to sunset on Saturday. Yeah, and then from sunrise to to noon on Sunday. All right. And then, then they have a big barbecue up by the Francisco National Wildlife Refuge with lots of whistle pig and beers. And <laughs> Sounds great. Yeah. <laughs> it does sound yeah. good. Um, that's awesome. Um, well, Matt, what? How? <laughs> just to transition. How, how? Let's let's talk national politics for a second. Are you are you excited that Bernie Sanders is going to run for Senate again, so you can keep doing your Bernie Sanders impersonation? Uh, yeah, I think I missed my opportunity though. Larry David sort of beat me to the punch, but you know, yeah, I had been for a long, for far too long. The poor people in Vermont have had to go north to have the prescriptions filled at an affordable price. <laughs> That's yeah. well done, man. It's pretty good. Look, 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 look. Am I saying, look, am I saying that corporate America does not deserve a seat at the table when we talk healthcare? No, 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 no. I'm, no, I'm not saying that at all. What, 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 what I am saying. Is that corporate America should not dictate healthcare policy? <laughs> Maybe we should have our own brunch with Bernie, and, and Matt can uh, can jump in as Bernie. Can you do off-topic, Bernie? Can you talk about the Ditch Pickle Classic? <laughs> look, look. Am I saying that the largest fish will win this? No. What I am saying that the people who put the most consistent amount of fish in the boat, who work the hardest, who have what they think are true values, those are the people who will win. <laughs> Oh my god! So I do have an X X rated version of it. Yeah, too. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. yeah, yeah. Let's we'll we'll do that later. The, the uh, <laughs> I mean, it's funny though, but he like there really hasn't been a Vermont politician that you could even do an impersonation of other than Bernie. It's like him and maybe the Howard Dean scream and right. You know, uh, you know, Bernie's too easy, and everybody's. I mean, what about Shumlin? He had kind of some sort of accent of some sort. I don't know. Yeah. Definitely nowhere near as animated yeah. as Bernie. Yeah. For sure. No, there's, no. There's, there's not, there's nothing. Yeah. There. No, I, I, I mean, so you want to hear my Jim Douglas impersonation? <laughs> I don't know. 
<laughs> sure, that's gotta be pretty. I'm trying to even remember what it even sounded like. All right, here it goes. Ready? Yeah, let's hear it. <laughs> that's it. That's pretty good. I that's love it. it. You yeah, nailed it. Now. You nailed it. That was really good. You know, I just heard that Bernie and Larry David are somehow related. What? Yeah, there was some sort of, I don't know oh. how they figured this out. Somebody figured this out. That long, long ago, they had some sort of relation. That sounds even weirder, actually. Yeah, yeah right. They had some sort of relation. Well, yeah, 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 I don't know. Uh, but it's, you know. It's a Brooklyn, Brooklyn that's all good. thing. I mean, it's just, you know. I, you know, I think it's great that as such a small state, we have, you know, two senators and a representative in Congress, but those dudes are old. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and, and I think they're all really nice people and I think they work hard for the state. But the that, Senate as a whole is very old. But our trio in the, in Congress looks like those Muppets that sat up in the balcony yeah. and like heckled Kermit. Statler and Waldorf? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like, but those guys were younger. You know, and, <laughs> well, and then you went to retire and go see the Muppet Show every day. <laughs> what, what were you saying, Matt? I can kind of do a, a Leahy impersonation. Oh, you can? It just takes a second. All right, you ready for my Leahy? <clears throat> Is this a... Okay. No, no. <clears throat> Mar <clears throat> Marcel and I are happy to be here today. <laughs> <laughs> he does really have that gruff voice now, doesn't he? And that was really... I, I think visually that he was standing up. Were you standing up for that one? Yes, Marcel and I uh, often stand up when we we have discussions these days. Usually it's because <laughs> uh, I'm incontinent and have to go to the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. Doesn't he live in Middlesex, supposedly? I've seen him at the Red Hen. Where's his place? I have no idea. <sighs> but but it, but allegedly Middlesex is his, his location. It's funny. I've seen, I've seen him at the Red Hen. I've... You know, seen um, Peter Welch like at the yeah. airport. Like you see, and that's usually where I, where you see these guys. Like you know, Friday or a Monday on any sort of Washington D.C. flight, you're probably going to see somebody like that. Right. Um, it's got to be the cheapest seat in the house. Getting you know, running for Senate in Vermont. Yeah. Oh, for, for the amount that they have to spend. And, right. Yeah. yeah. I think it is for sure. But not, you know, don't get me wrong. I think those those folks, you know, do work hard for the state, and that's great. I think, you know, as sort of, yeah, if you want to think about it in the lens of marketing, you know, that certainly is appealing to a certain demographic. <laughs> but sure. it doesn't. But those those are the most well known people from the state, right? Yeah. I mean, even our jam bands are getting old, right? I mean, like the guys from Fish. Yeah. Like, I mean, those guys have grandkids. There's right? a whole back. There's a whole backlash now on some longtime, you know, fish fans that Trey's really just dad rock kind of yacht rock in it. Yeah. I, I mean, that, the, as soon as I started really liking it, that's when I knew they'd really jumped the shark, you know. Isn't that what you do if you want to stick around playing music? Play for the old people? Yeah. yeah. You do like a sting thing, right? Yes. You just play acoustic. I'd love to be in that spot. That'd be great. <laughs> <laughs> Just <laughs> exactly, yeah. But, um, I heard a, I heard a great interview with Robert Plant, and what Robert Plant now does is he basically he's you know he's got castles and vacation homes and whatever he wants. He travels the world, and he immerses himself in like uh, native or local music cultures, 
and for like six to eight weeks and then goes back and maybe he puts out an album. Like he went to Ireland and spent eight weeks with this like traditional Celtic band and then used a few samples of that in his latest album. He did the same thing in India. He traveled to, you know, some region of India and stayed there for two months learning about how their native music came about. And, I mean, I if you had that money and had that time, why wouldn't you? Super local right there. We should get him on the show. Robert Plant? Yeah. That sounds good. Well, I was going <laughs> to say, I know a guy who worked with him on a recording project. Really? They were recording, like, like choirs in, in Wales. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean... That, I mean, that's, you know, that's just like the quintessential, like you don't retire when, you know, no, you know, if, if you had your own way, you'd still continue, continue to do kind of cool, meaningful stuff and travel. And that sounds like he's got that pretty dialed. I love that idea. He's, yeah, he's been very successful. <laughs> he's done okay. He's <laughs> done all right. Yeah, yeah. that's awesome. Yeah. Well, uh, Matt, what's your, I wanted to tease, you know, I guess you have an article in the current Vermont life that people can look for. Uh, yeah, t two of them, actually. One on St. Albans and its revitalization that was four decades in the making. Right. And, and then, then uh, one on, just this general one on fishing, which was the hardest, it's the hardest thing to write. Like, it's it's the easiest, I know about it, I can write about it in my sleep, but there was, the, the assignment came through based around photography. So they're like, hey, can you write a piece about fishing in Vermont? Yeah. And when it's that nebulous, like when you say, hey, can you write a story about how a city transformed itself after four decades? How did it get there? Who are the players and why is it there? That's an e that's an easier story to report and write. Right. But then like, oh, give me 1,500 words on fishing in Vermont. It's kind of like when you were in high school and realized that you had to do a, you know, a, a research project and it was due tomorrow. And you're like, oh, let's just do one on abortion or you know just some nebulous kind of thing that takes thousands of different approaches and you have to write one story about it it was right. kind of tough to write about fishing as without any structure yeah and then you know and they, did they give you the the eight photos that you had to link and you had to figure out a way to just kind of thread it through no <laughs> it could be any eight photos go yeah, yeah. talk about did yeah you, it was uh, like, uh, so, some of it's bass fishing some of it's fly fishing some of it's like the dad with the, his daughter and the bobber so just write about it like, right. oh okay and then uh you're out, you know and then you're a you're a you're a lively twitter voice as well you're is it um i can't remember is it at matt crawford it is yeah i'm kind of a big deal on twitter yeah you are kind of a big you deal. got some followers <laughs> man we were we were reading through and chuck had, had some pretty good chuckles in there <laughs> Yeah, and you know, I've been trying not to, but really, over the last sixteen months, it's I've entered the national political fray. It's just, I mean, since November, <laughs> whenever that was. Are you getting quoted yeah. in things because of your Twitter posts? Um, I don't know. I might have gotten a seven days tweet of the week once. Wow, maybe. that's pretty good. That's, we'll take <laughs> yeah. that. I'll take that for sure. Um, well, Matt, thank you for joining us. We really appreciate it. And, um, you know, uh, we'll, uh, we'll talk soon. Um, any, any final chicken usually has like one, like last meaningful, thoughtful question. Do you have one chicken? What? Uh, 14th star brewing. Yeah. We always talk about it. I think yeah. it might, is it our number one? It was my, I'm pretty sure it was my number one. It was your number one Vermont the, the tribute brew, brew yeah. of the last 48 hours. That's right. 
They have a new one. Is that, have you? Is that right? New-ish. I think, I think you're talking about the B-52, right? No, they have even another 70, one. 72. B-72. B-72. Right. What's the newer one? They've got a, it's like a picture of a soldier on the front. I think it's some sort of... Well, the thing is, is like when you go to the 14-star tasting room up in St. Albans, there's a ton of beers there. It's amazing. Like right. We only get down around here, you know, the Tribute, which is the double IPA, the Valor, which is the Pilsner and like the Maple Breakfast Stout. But then there's like one in an orange can and, you know, yeah. they've got a bunch of other stuff up there. I mean, what, when you interviewed those guys, what, you know, what's your, what was your sort of takeaway for that for Malt Life Bees? Um, well, I, it was part of the St. Albans, it was sort of the genesis of the St. Albans story, like, uh, it, it, because it became this sort of key keystone business downtown. Right. But it was really about Steve Gagne, this guy from Swanton, who was a Norwich grad who served in Iraq and Afghanistan. And it really is a, it's a veteran owned business. And that's how he started. He, he wrote the business plan the way he tells it. He was, you know, the Taliban was trying to shoot mortars into Bagram air force base where he was stationed, but they never really got close. So you just hear this constant bombing all day and he sort of got bored with it. So he started writing a business plan by longhand about what he was going to do when he got the hell out of there. Wow. And, um, started real small. Uh, make awesome beer. <laughs> yeah, make awesome beer. And you know, he got a, he got a big help when he did the Burlington Brewers Festival. Uh huh. Um, Zero Gravity helped him out. Like, hey, why don't you brew your beer here so you have enough kegs for the Brewers Festival? And people loved it. And um, the other little thing that was in that story I wrote for Vermont Life about 14 stars that the kind of cool thing is that he not only did he take like, his retirement and he had his dad take some of his 401k but there's this group around here and i think i know some of these people they're unnamed investors but they're just 10 people like our age a little bit younger who when they first got out of college just started putting a few bucks into an account there's 10 of them and they grew this account to a, a reasonable size where they could start investing in local businesses called 10 of us investing and so Steve knew one or two of these people. They're like school teachers and stuff, you know, and he went to them and they were able to give him some seed money to help move the 14 star from this little garage up to the old bowling alley in downtown St. Albans where it is now. And, and, and I'm sure that probably was a pretty good move. Yeah. And I think they get paid with tribute and valor. Well, <laughs> well yeah, that makes me thirsty. That's just talking about perfect. It. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, but have, have you had the B-72? You have, Drew. I have, for sure. Yeah, yeah. We've had it on, well, while we're podcasting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. we've, had, we've had several. Yeah, well, you brought some into me, like, and your initial explanation on the B-72 was like it was a the tribute, but more drinkable. And my response was, Let's, I, don't, <laughs> I don't need a more drinkable tribute. <laughs> like, I need a less drinkable tribute to slow me down on it. Mm. You know, it's just, it's, it's, uh, it's a delightful concoction i'm not exactly sure what they put in oh, I, mean, I mean we are just sort of surrounded by it which is sort of mind-boggling but um anyway uh, well matthew thank you very much for joining us we really appreciate it and uh, we would give you a high five but um we'll have to do that some other time but check it out high five high five all right thanks matt thanks matt. Right, well that was pretty awesome i don't know if you can hear the uh the gaggle of geese that's walking outside, but uh, that is, I'm almost 100% sure that is the Waitsfield Elementary School end of the year 
um, boat competition where they walk down from the school and then they put, right. they have they have all the boats that they built and then right. they, they put them in the river and, and float them down. But it, yeah, um, then, well, there's a friend of the of the pod, Josh Schwartz, yes, who is looking for assistance uh, on canoe detail. Uh, oh, oh, for today. Yes, and collecting and, and <laughs> handling all of the... Oh, the, shoot, I missed that. Yes, um, working the regatta, working as it were. The regatta, yeah. I bet that would have been really fun. Yeah, um, I was going to do that, but then like, But we're potting. Right? Yeah, we're potting, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I thought that went great. It was great to have Matt on. He's... he's uh, totally. He's, he's, he I wonder what he'll do next, <laughs> right? Yeah. We didn't really get into how, how much he was working for Vermont Life, but you know, I mean, there's a lot of people that were affected by that. I think, um, you know, it was, it would say it's a big deal, you know, I think yeah. for him and for a lot of people in the state. And, and I think, you know, there's, you know, there's, there's the pocket money part, but then there's also just the, I don't know, I, I find that it, it feels odd to be living in a world without Vermont Life, but at the same point, I, I, I my hope is, is that, in the back halls of this, the decision making people, that there's a backup plan here, that there's a plan to roll something out or to attempt a venture. Because yeah, there, uh, like you said, you know, there's there's plenty of them out there that exist and and make a couple bucks. Yeah, I think in particular of like Maine Magazine or Down East. You know, yeah, they exist, and you know, there's there are and every city has something like it, and or numerous magazines like it and there's some remarkable stories happening in vermont you know that are not like you said there it's it's all it's all the homegrown podcasting that's eating away at the vermont life audience yeah <laughs> yeah we're we're nimble we're we've, we've got our expenses down to yeah. pretty much nothing our distribution costs are low <laughs> as are as are our marketing costs now there, there are two things of note um, okay. before we go let's hear it a, this is our first daytime podcast. I know, it's really hard, isn't it? It's really difficult. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay. It just and feels strange because it feels like, oh, crap, I got to go to the dry cleaner. I know, usually you know, I, I just haven't cleaned go home and in go to 30 bed. years. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah. Well, I feel like I should, yeah, just do that. Uh, and, and, and two? Two. Um, on our podcast, yes. we have not talked about the upper echelons of the federal government but today was the closest that we've gotten oh i suppose we, we did yeah we talked about our congressional delegation yeah you but know, we have not talked about he who shall not be named who shall not be named yeah let's not okay let's not. but i do have you know high five on. On. we do i do have a theory though that like well and matt and i've talked about this there's like there's some phrase for it like if you go onto a an internet like the New York Times, and you go to any given article and you read the comment section. Yeah, there's this there's a term for the number of posts in the comment section before they start talking about Nazis and jackbooted thugs, and and basically it's this idea that the general public eventually, if you give them enough time, will talk about that in the internet comments of any given story. Wow. And I can't remember what the term is, but that it, but it is a thing if you Google it. I actually have a, a corollary to that, which is that in any gathering of people in Vermont eventually you're going to talk about him like it's an impossible like you can't go to a, a cocktail party or or anything it's just like oh you know because eventually people are gonna be like oh god did you hear about the thing with the philadelphia eagles well, <laughs> well like, because and again we don't we don't have to belabor it yeah mention voldemort's name <laughs> um although i just did uh 
But it's it's heavy on people's minds. It is. There's a lot. There's a lot. You know. I mean, you can't say that you don't. You know, wake up every morning going, ooh, Ugh. yeah. Yeah. Everybody does. It is. I, I do think you know for some of the things that that I'm involved with. There's there's that, but it also there's this sort of a. A lot of people are you know disgusted by it. A, a lot of people are using it as a reason to just kind of lean in on stuff, like and say I feel so helpless, but here's a place where I can put a little extra effort in. And and I do think it's fueling you know some real activism and oh there's no doubt in 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 a lot of different areas, um, which. You know, I don't want to say that that's a benefit of the whole thing, but at the same point, it is um, a little bit of comfort. And um, and honestly, I continue to meet some really awesome people who are just saints for the work that they do in in local and state government. Yeah. Um, and you know, and people who want to work at those or help out with those groups, because once again, I think they're just kind of leaning into that heavy end. You have to be. Uh, you you have to do that kind of. The, the people's work, the good work when you're, you know, local state government. You know, you don't do it for money or fame no. or anything. No. And in a small state, you know, like, I remember when I first moved here, I was like, is the whole thing run by volunteers? <laughs> turns out and it, it turns out it is. Yeah. 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 My, so we're already hip to that, that, that yeah. notion that maybe some other people are waking up to. Yeah. And in, in Vermont, you know, we're all... We're all a heartbeat away from being governor is sort of how I phrase it. Like, I mean, you, you know, I saw the governor. Oh, you did? Yeah, he was coming out of a gas station in Barrie at like <laughs> 9 o'clock at night. In his, by himself? Or no, he had his bodyguard sub- with him. Yeah, the black suburban. And, and I felt so stupid because I wanted to say something to him, but I just went, hey, man. <laughs> and he looks at me like, ugh. Because <laughs> I'm even sure he gets that kind of look all yeah. the time. I, it's, it's, hey. Hey, I, you. I think he's always really excited when he's not in Montpelier. So I think that was... Was that in Montpelier? Uh, I'm sorry. It was not in Barry. It was in Berlin. Oh, it was in Berlin. I think he was probably... Still I there. was on my way home, and he was coming out. Yeah. And I said to the guy working at the counter, I was like, Hey, man, the governor was here. Yeah. He goes, Yeah, you signed in some paperwork. <laughs> like, somehow, I don't know. It was the Vermont Travel Center. Do you know that place? I do not. Okay. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. No, I know, exa- I know exactly. What it's you're talking like about, it's almost like uh, like if LL Bean built a gas station. Yeah. It's, it's like it's crazy it's sweet really and nice. nice and huge in there. These giant print wall prints of well know, needed Vermont scenes and, and which is funny. Like you know that's like the one 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 or two exits up the road from Randolph where they're trying to figure out. Remember we were talking to John Kidder about that. Like, oh like, yeah. What are they gonna do to kind of do they want something like that or um, they got McDonald's man. That's sweet. Yeah. And back to the back <laughs> to the kid thing. When my kids were little, they couldn't yeah. stand McDonald's. Now that they're in high school, oh, they're all about the what what's my son called? McDank. <laughs> Dude, let's go to McDank. I'm, I'm down. You know, I don't I mean it's nice that there isn't even that kind of sort of thing around here, right? Yeah. There's only even... one chain, I think, or maybe two. In the valet? Yeah, there's Shaw's and TD Bank. I think yeah. and that's it. Yeah. Unless you want to call like Northfield Savings Bank a, a chain. I or suppose you could. The creamy. But anyway, um, I don't really go for the fast food a lot. But I remember back in the well, day playing get... rock and roll. Yeah. And the dollar menu around two o'clock in the morning. <laughs> really sweet. It does. What's your favorite what's your go to move there? It's the big man. Yeah. 
had a big, you know, so that's not on the dollar. Did you know that as a high school coach, when you show up with a busload of, of kids at a McDonald's, it's a coach eats for free. Oh, I just learned that the other day. And What'd I you have? A Big Mac. It's great. Isn't oh, it? I felt terrible. I um, ate the whole thing. It was delicious. And oh, there's a new uh, burger place in Montpelier and they have a Big Mac, which is their take <laughs> on the Big Mac. Really? It's Buddy's Burgers. It's um uh, where Angelino's Pizza used to be, right, kind of behind Sarducci's. Oh no shit! Yep. So go check out that burger, and it's it's. Yeah, they nailed it. That's awesome. Yeah, it's great. That's awesome. All right, man. Well, uh, thanks again. One more high five. High five. Daytime pod. Check. <laughs> <laughs>